Today is Thursday, October the 12th, 2017. My name is Nancy Kishpa, and I'm here today with Sherilyn Hearn, a local author from Neodoshe, Kansas. Uh, Sherilyn, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I am originally from California. Uh, people who know me would say I'm a city person, but for some reason I live here. And I'm... Uh, 41. I have children. I'm married. And I've been writing for most of my adult life. So it comes pretty naturally to me. And I like the small town environment. I try to get involved. Um, how did you get started writing? You know, people ask me that. I really think it was just, you know, in school, you gravitate towards the things that you enjoy and you like. And English was my thing. And Teachers tell you you're good at something, you just keep doing it, I guess. And when did you write your first book? My first book um, was in 2009 that was actually complete and novel length and what I would consider to be a complete book. I did start a book um, several years before that. But um, in high school and when I was younger, I never really thought about writing a book. I was writing poetry and things like that. I mean articles and you never really get into real lengthy lengthy stuff in school so I don't know if it seems realistic but um, it was when I was older that I focused on that and then once I wrote one in 2009 I've written I think one or more a year since then so wow. what inspires you to write what topics do you like to write about well I definitely write fiction the most um, I've written a little of everything I've written some nonfiction. I wrote a memoir um, a cookbook, some children's books. So fiction is like my thing, but I just think of stuff. And if I usually have to write it down because it's at the end, long, end of a long list of other ideas. So if I get back to it, I do. I always, I don't worry too much about that because I feel like if it's meant to be written, it'll come back to me and bug me until I start doing it. And uh -huh. if it, if it isn't, it might end up on that idea page forever. Okay. How many books have you written so far? Uh, 12 that are like completely, completely done. Um, I used to think it was more than that and I had to go back and really look, but some have been revised, the research books, um, you know, you go back and you update them with new information or sometimes I have changed the perspective of a, of a compilation for a client. And so then on my list of, with my publisher, it looks like I have 14 and I had to stop and say, that's not really 14. So I went back for this interview and counted and it was 12. So, and most of those are, are fiction. And what, do you have a favorite book out of all those books? Um, it's really hard not to fall in love with whatever you wrote the most recently mm -hmm. <laughs> because you're, that's where your heart is at the moment. Um, so I really love what I'm working on now, but I'm sure that's going to change. Um, a couple books I've written have been personal. I wrote a memoir, of course, that just has significance for me. And I wrote a small uh, children's book for my nieces, which is, you know, again, significant. So I don't know. I guess it just depends on the day. Who was the, the, the memoir about? Uh, the memoir was basically from, I have a daughter who was in a car accident. And it was a serious car accident with life-changing uh, injuries. And so I basically wrote a book um, from the day of the accident till the day I brought her home from the hospital. It was over a six-month period. And it's um, primarily I was uh, writing every day in the hospital. 
to people, to the world, to tell them what was going on with her. And then privately, you know, kind of a journaling type thing for myself. And then once I got home and our lives got a little bit more or less complicated, I went back and sort of, I wouldn't say edited because I didn't want to take away. There are some things I wrote in there, you know, under pressure and upset and in bad situations, but I, I left that stuff. But I did go back and, you know, add and make it much more book form and, and you uh-huh. know, appropriate. And then uh, published it. And um, it's really great to give uh, employees that take care of her, um, my uh, people I've met in that, you know, people who have similar experiences like the book just for that type of thing. And that's really what it's best for. I've probably given away more than I've sold uh-huh. just because anytime I always give them to staff and Renee likes to tell people that the book exists and then they want to see it. And then I just, you know, give it away. But, um, so that was, you know, a memoir is different than an autobiography as it's just sort of usually takes a little part of someone's life or a certain aspect of someone's life and not just their whole life. So I would encourage, you know, anytime you've had a life-changing experience, um, you might be surprised how easily a memoir could come out of you. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you said you were working on a book now and, and that what you're working on currently is usually your most favorite. What are you working on now? Uh, I'm working on a, it's, um, I'll read this little blurb and I'm reading it so it might not sound very natural. Uh, it's called Replica. It's a crime drama, which is very new for me. But, again, an idea comes and I just write it. Uh, Protagonist Kate Ramey is an insurance investigator in New York City pursuing a string of high-profile art thefts, which are one by one returned to their owners. Dealing with the mega-rich with a rookie cop in her shadow, Ramey realizes that her thief is stealing much more than paint and canvas. And that's called Replica, and I'm actually taking that to um, the New York writer's pitch conference in November to uh-huh. New York City. So it has to be really done and polished when I get there. So uh-huh. I'm kind of trying to focus on that. <laughs> and I know there's another book that you've written that um, has has some importance for the community of independence, and that's your book about the poor farm. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, the poor farm book is in its second or third <laughs> revision. I wrote it. Um, I wrote it right after uh, Renee and I got back and and settled in. She actually helped me transcribe it. She's a great typist. Um, it is about the Montgomery County Poor Farm. I'm a genealogist, and when I used to volunteer here at the Kansas Room, um, as often would happen, you know, a patron would come in and asked me to help them research their family. So someone called from out of state and was asking me to research his grandfather, might have been great-grandfather, who passed away and lived part of his life at the poor farm. And I was, I said, I don't know what you're talking about, the poor farm. And I consider myself to kind of know a little bit about, you know, history around here anyway. And uh, not knowing something, just, you know, that's not going to work for me. So <laughs> I had to really go find out about it. And I was just... I, it just took me, took me away. It's still standing. There's so much to know about it, and yet nobody knew anything uh-huh. about it. It was insane. So I tried to decide, okay, how do you – I'm going to write a book about this, but how, how, you know. Well, it 
basically this person had come to me and wanted to know about his grandfather. And I felt like, well, when people do that, they need to be able to quickly find their ancestor and, and figure out what it was. Because how do you write a book about a place that was for, open for 80 years? Uh-huh. So I had to somehow, and you have to do that much, a lot of times in nonfiction, because you, you, know, you have to channel your focus or you're going to be all over the place. So um, it's about the people whether they were staff there or residents. And it's for the, it covers the entire 80 years um, that it was opened. And so it had to be revised once because the census came out. Another census will come out here in a few years. And then I'm going to be able to stop because the Poor Farm will have, will have closed. But it is a great resource. Um, probably many people in Independence and Montgomery County have ancestors who were there. Um, there's a cemetery there. Um, you know, and just lots of information people might not. You realize. were instrumental in helping get the cemetery um, renovated, so to speak. Yeah, the cemetery. I don't. I don't know if I was instrumental, but maybe I was just that first step or whatever. Um, that's a great story, though. Uh, again, being a genealogist, in my research of the poor farm, I'm a, I'm a little bit obsessed with cemeteries, and when my research of the poor farm. They kept saying, you know, buried at the poor farm, funeral at the poor farm. It would be, you know, in newspaper articles and things like that. And immediately I was like, ah, there's 66 cemeteries in Montgomery County. I know every single one of them. What, there is no poor farm cemetery. And that was a big deal for Mm me. So I had to go find the cemetery. And um, it was, uh, Art Shank was very instrumental in helping me find that he used to be sheriff and he owns the uh, property adjacent to the poor farm property and he kind of confirmed for me right away yes there was a cemetery there I know Mm -hmm. there was a cemetery there so that that really helped me to know I wasn't just you know chasing on a wild goose chase or something so I went out to the poor farm a couple times maybe and looked and looked and looked for what I didn't know because it clearly wasn't a traditional active cemetery and so it wasn't it was a third time and I was actually far away from it but I saw the stones and there was barbed fence and all kinds of stuff in between me and them but I got to them and I know it sounds corny but I sat down on the ground and I was like here you are I found you you know Mm -hmm. and I said and there's a, a really sweet poignant little briefer thing of this story in the book Uh, it says 37 stones because that's how many I could count Um, and I told them I will this will not this will not sit I will be back somebody will be back we're not going to let you just it was just completely it was not a cemetery it was Mm -hmm. just area it was it had been run over by cattle and horses and um, but you could tell the stones were standing straight up they were clearly in rows I mean, it was it was obvious. So um, I just told enough people, and it is legal not to maintain a cemetery. And if the owner of the property won't do it, then the county or the state or somebody has to. And um, eventually, the right county commissioner found out, and now it's beautifully maintained. And uh, there's crosses. They counted something like eighty stones because they really mm-hmm. went. You know, they cleared the area and really. Uh-huh kind of did a little bit of an excavation it kind of reminds me of like archaeologists where you have to like don't disturb the stones but we need to expose them so we can see them so they have now there's a bunch of crosses none of them are marked and that's you know unfortunate only 14 um can be documented i can i can tell you 14 names of those 80 
but I'm always hopeful that more names will come forward, you know, mm-hmm. and I still get, um, as a friend of mine who, uh, transcribes from the, uh, funeral home records. And every time I think I have a final draft, <laughs> I found another one, which is very good. Getting information is very good, but it's so funny that I, every time I think I'm done, it's never done. Research is never done, so that's normal. But um, that is a very important book for this town, and it's here at the library. It's at the uh, historical center. Um, you know, I they're on Amazon, and it's not uh, they're not expensive at all. None of my books are expensive compared to bookstores, and uh, I promise you, there are tons of ancestors in there. Mm-hmm. I mean easy easy to you know connect the dots we sure appreciate your doing that that means an awful lot i'm sure it does to the families of those that are buried there it was very it was a fun project and i'm actually working on uh slow but sure the uh, door of hope orphanage um in a similar fashion because it's a very uh similar type of research you know this is real people similar records that i have to go through it's much harder because Mm -hmm. adoption is uh hidden you know adoption is hidden and some children don't even know back then don't even know they were adopted um i even traveled to oklahoma and met with someone who was a a lie who was a child at the door of hope and um and after i interviewed her she passed away and so that's an excellent example of you know stories and information it leaves us every day. You know, mm-hmm. you have to get, you have to talk to your elders and sometimes your elders, you got to get them to talk to you. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm glad you're doing that project too, because we have lots of inquiries about the Door of Hope Orphanage here at the library as well. Yeah. Well, and it's a, it's a, you know, labor of love because it's much less forthcoming than uh-huh. the, uh, than the poor farm was. The poor farm was really kind of easy to put together. Nobody was, poor farms, every county, Everyone always asks me, what is a poor right. farm? Well, every county had a poor farm back in the late, you know, 1880s. There was no welfare. There was no Social Security. There was nothing like that until, you know, in the 20s and 30s and the New Deal. And the poor farm was still open until the 50s just because just because the president says something doesn't mean every county has it automatically. Right. So um, I tell people, you know, you didn't have to be poor to be at the poor farm. You could have just been an orphan or crazy or just not not okay to be by yourself right you know there were lots of people that were at the poor farm and chose to be uh-huh. or people that lived their whole life at the poor farm right. and they maybe could have left but it's really sad when you see some records and here's this person and then the you know in the 1910 census they had a wife and children and they had a home and they you know they had this life and then 10 years later the wife's gone the kids are gone and they're at the poor farm or the mm-hmm. husband's gone the kids are gone and they're at the poor farm and you have no idea. Sometimes you can put together because you can try to find if the kids are still alive, you can find them, you know, living their own lives. You can try to put the pieces together, but um, sometimes you have no idea what led them there and, and mm-hmm. what happened. But that kind of stuff is in the the book. I mean, if it's not just well, they were at the poor farm. If I can find anything about their life, what where were they before the poor farm? Where were they after the poor farm? I try to put it in there. Good, good. Thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> um, is there anything else you would like to tell us about your writing today? Let's see. Well, I really encourage, I think there are a lot more writers, closet writers, <laughs> hiding mm-hmm. in our communities. And I know people think writing is not a real thing and, and it gets put on the back burner. Um, but it's not just about, you know, I'm going to write a book and I'm going to be in a bookstore and I'm going to have a signing or something like that. 
especially nonfiction and, and uh, documenting of anything. You're, you're documenting things. You're documenting life and you're documenting thoughts, even stories you're documenting, you know, for your children. And so I think people need to come out. There's writers groups. There's a big convention, you know, not just one of many, but um, this next month is NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month. Um, it's kind of silly and some writers don't take it seriously, but it's a great way to start. You know, if you've always, I hear so many people say, I've always wanted to write a book. Uh-huh. I don't think if there's a sentence in your life that's, I've always wanted to, uh, there is absolutely no reason why you shouldn't do whatever the end of that sentence is. And so many people say, I've always wanted to write a book. Well, What's NaNoWriMo? Just write it. It's na- It stands for National Novel Writing Month, and it's November every year. You go online, you register, it doesn't cost anything, but you just make a little account. And from November 1st till November 30th, every day, you put in your um, word count. And technically, if you get to 50,000 words, you're considered a winner that you completed it in a month. When really an, uh, a real novel is going to be between like maybe 70 and 85,000. 50 is sure a heck of a start. And it's a novella. If you finish it at 50 and you love it, it's a novella. But anyway, um, you beforehand, you make a profile, you put your title and you make a whole profile of your book and you put a bio of you, the author. And there's just there's all kinds of activities, real activities. Like I go to Wichita on Halloween night and at midnight we start writing. It's I mean, there's funny, silly parts of it. But truly, if you have a hard time with deadlines, if you have a hard time keeping yourself focused, if you don't know where to start, you know, I started in 2009 and I wrote my first book. And don't get me wrong, it's it's takes some focus, but we all joke that we tell our families, November is coming. Don't expect any dinner. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, it's November. I don't do anything. Now I have a big conference in New York in November in the middle. And I, even though I am going to participate in NaNoWriMo, I don't know how that's going to affect uh-huh. my success. But I try every year. So that's wonderful. It's super fun. Well, I hope we can prevail upon you to come back and read a selection from one of your books for us. I will. I have tons of stuff to read. All right. We'll look forward to it. Thank you, Sherilyn. Thank you.